Welcome to the MS Dev Show, episode number 18. This week, we talked to Jeff Blankenberg about fear, productivity, and how to rob a bank. Let's compile like it's 1992 and auto-delete your mail while you're on vacation. Hello, Carl. How's it going? Going pretty good. Uh, you've had a pretty busy week this week. Yeah, and if you notice something different, my voice is back. Oh, that's uh, good. It was pretty terrible in the last episode, so I apologize for that. But You it sounded pretty be... good at the end, though. <laughs> yeah, it sounded perfect at the end. With the computerized voice. So if you haven't listened to that one, just listen to the last 40 seconds. It was pretty hilarious. But yeah, this week I was at uh, that conference and I gave my presentation on Orleans. I had a pretty good sized group. I had about 20 people there. And you figure anybody that's going to uh, such a niche topic is pretty interested in it. And they were definitely excited about the technology. And I got swarmed at the end and I got a lot of questions. And I'm even still getting tweets and emails with uh, follow-up questions. So it's a, a super exciting technology. So uh, that was really good seeing some people out there and excited about it. So this week uh, we have uh, Jeff Blankenberg. So he is a technical evangelist on the TED team at Microsoft. He's a Windows phone developer and he's president of the Stir Trek conference in Ohio. And he's also a part-time ninja. <laughs> How's it going, Jeff? It's good. How are you just... <laughs> Thanks I for that. Yeah, are you going to put the part-time ninja on your LinkedIn profile? Uh, no, because it's only part-time. I'm not fully Oh, okay, okay. I was going to put a recommendation in for you, but, you know, if it's oh, not going to be any. Yeah, yeah, no, it's, it's nothing I take serious, but. Yeah. Know. So do you want to give us a, a, you know, I want to do a little bit more full introduction. On previous episodes, we've done it before we got to the guest, but what I want to do is we're trying to move everything a little bit earlier in the show, the the intro of the guest that way, uh um, I really want to get your feedback on some of the news items on here. So you want to give us a little bit of background about yourself? Uh, sure. So like you said, uh, I'm working on the TED team at Microsoft. I'm primarily focused on big, big healthcare ISVs. So I spend a lot of time um, working with companies like that, solving the problems of healthcare information in the cloud. That's an interesting problem to have to solve every day. Right. Uh, and then like you said, I'm a Windows phone developer. I've got 20 or so apps in the Windows Phone Store and a handful in the Windows uh, the Windows Store as well. Um, and then, like you said, I'm the, the president of uh, the Star Trek Conference, which is a, a conference we hold every year. This year it was in April, but every year prior to that, it's been uh, the first weekend in May. And we hold it on the day a big geeky movie opens like uh, the Avengers or Captain America or something like that. And it's, uh, you know, it's your standard one day uh, tech conference, but you know, 1500 people come to it and it's, uh, it's held in the movie theater, which is a kind of cool way to speak because you have your slides just absolutely gigantic behind you. Um, and we're actually in the process of starting to plan right now. We're talking about, uh, instead of the standard food fair you find at conferences, we're going to invite 10 or 12 food trucks to show up and people can just go out and get whatever they want. So we're doing a lot of fun stuff, uh, trying to keep it fresh and new and interesting. That's pretty cool. So I didn't know it was that big. So you have 1500 people. So yeah. So you have, so all the sessions are in separate, basically on separate screens in the different rooms, right? Yeah. We take over eight of the theaters in a 16 theater building. Oh, that's pretty cool. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I had no idea. I'll have to, uh, when, when does that happen? When is the next uh, one? The next one will be May 1st, 2015. Okay. So okay. do people, so, time. so do people project their presentations on the full screen? Yeah. So it's actually going through the movie theater projectors. <laughs> so you take up the entire screen. And if you have audio in your presentation, you, you, you're using the movie theater audio. Oh, that's awesome. So do you uh, have people is, use video clips more? I would say that the second year, the first year people were just kind of figuring out the second year, 
Yeah. Uh, I, of the 40 presentations we had, I think there were nine people that opened their presentation because they thought they were being novel and neat with that THX intro. Oh, <laughs> yeah. Just, everything just kind of comes down. <laughs> yep, right? yep. Uh, everybody thought that would be a great way to start the presentation. I thought it was great, too. Um, but it was not a unique idea. But yeah, we do find some people uh, using audio and little video clips and stuff just because you can take advantage of that on a huge screen. It's great. Yeah, normally I w- I'm kind of afraid to use any kind of audio because you never know how good that's going to work with the levels in that. But right. man, if you have the theater sound, that's that's got to be like a totally different class of presentation. That's pretty cool. <laughs> it is. And it's it's neat because it it almost takes the speaker away. Like we don't have big spotlights on them or anything. They're standing down at the front of a medium dark theater and the focus is almost entirely on their slides because that's where the, the big screen is. So that's cool. uh, it, it, it works really, really well. Okay. Is there more popcorn consumption than a normal conference? Uh, only at the end. So the, the way it works is we have a full day of sessions, lunch in the middle, and uh, the sessions end around 4.30. And then we have what we call the Mad Popcorn Dash, where honestly, everybody walks out of the theater, grabs a thing of popcorn and some pop, walks back into we, – we consolidate down for the movie. Uh, we go down to five theaters and uh, everybody sits and we get we, – we think, and we're, we're working on proving this – we think we're the largest private screening of Marvel movies uh, nationally every year. <laughs> uh, so, you know, we have, you know, 1,500 people and so we let people invite their friends and families if they want to come into that as well. But it's, it's probably 15 or 1,600 people in a private screening of a movie, which is pretty cool. That's awesome. I might have to come yeah. down for that. Uh, we'd love to have you. I'm sure we could find Yeah, when does the speaker speak. sign up? Uh, we will probably be doing it uh, not long after Codemash, so probably February-ish. Okay. Uh, we like to let all of that settle. Uh, and then we, we kind of get rolling on our stuff. Yeah, cool. Well, so I'll definitely submit something. Okay, that'd be great. So let's jump into the news. So I found a couple interesting things here. The first one, I guess we're going to start off with kind of a deep one here. It's uh, microservices and the first law of distributed objects. So that's, how's that for shifting gears? <laughs> uh, so I, I thought this was was an interesting article. This one is from uh, Martin Fowler, and he always has some really good sort of pure technical advice. And um, this one was addressing uh, one of his laws that he has stated previously where you don't distribute your objects. So the idea there is that you don't proxy your objects. You don't run uh, an object on a different machine and then make calls to it and, and pretend like that object is running on the same machine. So uh, now with all these distributed services, people are like, well, does, you know, are you going to are you actually going to change your mind on this? But what he did was he made the point that um, that's not what's going on in these distributed services. Now, what's going on is people are, um, you know, they're, they're making very specific calls between these different microservices. So I should probably define a microservice and hopefully I understand it correctly. Um, instead of having, you know, one big monolithic application, it's this idea of having you know, uh, since, since like processes are essentially free at this level, you have 20 different services that might make up an application and they each provide, you know, a different service to that application. They could potentially be upgraded independently. Um, but really the rise of these microservices, I think has come from the fact that it's so easy for things to talk to each other in the .NET world. You can have, uh, processes talk to each other. You can use like web API with Owen so that you can, you can, uh, easily fire up a server so that other c- things can connect to you. And then now uh, whenever you're talking about things like Node.js, it's one line of code to fire up a server. It's one line of code to actually connect to another one. So it's really easy to do this inter-process communication. 
And then this article also reminded me of a classic Joel Anspolsky article that a lot of people probably have read. It's called the law of leaky abstractions. And this is the one that uh, back in the day, man, let me see what the date is on this thing. November 11th, 2002. So 12, 12 years ago. So this one, <clears throat> what kind of hit home for me was this was talking about a file system. <clears throat> excuse me. This was talking about having a, um, uh, basically taking like HTTP requests or, um, you know, having something that's not a file system and exposing it as a file system and all the issues that come with that. You start copying a file and it works well until there's some kind of underlying issue. And then windows sort of explodes when, uh, when that whole thing isn't working. So uh, did you get a chance to look at this one, Carl? I, I did, but, uh, I didn't have as much time as, you know, I think this topic truly deserves. You didn't do your homework, Carl, did you? <laughs> I was it. cramming at the last minute. <laughs> no, I, I thought this was cool. I, I always like this kind of stuff. Um, you know, it's a little bit of, you know, just sort of hypothetical situations, but, but there's, uh, you know, there is real world applicability to these things. And, and the, the fact is the world is changing and uh, people are really starting to question all of the existing rules. And the existing rules, you know, you really then we're, we have to start really evaluating what they actually meant and, and what the purpose was there. Yeah. But uh, one of the things that I got from this, too, is, you know, one thing that you or at least I always personally struggle, struggle with when you have data and, you know, how do you even want to expose it to yourself? I mean, do you want to make all those a lot of tiny little calls? Do you want to wrap them up into something bigger? Do you I mean, mm-hmm. I mean, how generic do you want to get it? How you know, tightly bound, do you want to get it? There's a, a lot of different ways to think about that. And, uh, you know, this article really kind of helps put some of that into perspective as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So we'll, we'll have it in the show notes. If anybody wants to dive into it, it's, it's pretty heavy reading, but I think it's, uh, I think it's good. Uh, the next one I found very interesting as well. This one is developing ASP.NET V next applications on a Mac. So there was actually a, um, a podcast listening recently it was on .NET Rocks and Scott Hunter. It was the episode with Scott Hunter, and he was talking about this: how uh, they're sort of decoupling all of the different portions of of .NET and and making it so that it's more modular. And what ends up happening is you actually can ship the framework embedded into your application. So it starts to enable these crazy scenarios like this right here, where you know since the whole thing is open source and and it's you know you can sort of tear apart all these different pieces. There's actually an add-in for Sublime Text that you can run on a Mac and you can actually run ASP.NET vNext on, on a Mac. So I think you could do like Web API, MVC, those types of things. I don't think you could do classic a- ASP.NET, but I could be wrong. Actually, it looks like it does have, does it have web forms? Yeah. You can do web yep. forms in this too? Yep. It's like right there. That's pretty cool. That's pretty cool. Any comment on this, guys? I just think it's cool. I, I think it's also cool that when when you do something like this, you also ship just the parts of the framework that you absolutely need for mm-hmm. yourself. You're not pulling in like all of ASP.NET, you know, as a whole. You're just pulling in those tiny subsections. Yeah, and and uh, you know, I've I've always been of the opinion. I, I I keep talking to a lot of people and and about um, you know developing for uh, the Internet of Things for IoT. And one thing that I always point out with uh, something like Node.js is that you either have it or you don't. So if you have a device, I know I was using a BeagleBone and I actually had to compile Node.js for it, but 
once I compiled Node.js for it, I had it like I was done. Then I was able to pull in all this other code and I basically had all of Node.js. With .NET, um, you know, you whenever you get onto these lower end devices, there's different editions of .NET where they're not actually .NET. Like you can write in C Sharp, but there's all these restrictions around it. So what I, what is interesting about this whole .NET v Next to me is if we can have a slimmed down version of uh, an application or a service or something like that, it starts to open up the possibility of of running these things on smaller and smaller devices. Which also gave me the idea. I mean, I'm always thinking about phone and it would be really cool if I could write MVC in a phone app. Mm -hmm. And, you know, something like this is if it can't do it now, it's leading the way to being able to do something like that. Yep. It's just going to be a matter of pulling in the right pieces uh, for what you want. Um, so the next one here, so I think this is my last one and then you, I know you have some Carl, so let's compile like it's 1992. So this was just a little bit of a fun one. I, I thought this was cool. I'd, I'd like to, if I had, I'm pretty busy right now, but if I had a little bit of time, I'd probably go through and actually do this, but it shows you how to compile, um, Wolfenstein 3d, which is really cool. So you use DOSBox, you got to grab an old Borland C plus plus three, one compiler. And then you need, uh, you actually have to download like a compiled version of the Wolfenstein 3D because it gets you the, just for the uh, assets, like all the images and sprites and things like that. But it has fairly simple instructions on how you compile this. I, I would actually be interested. I don't think he says how fast it compiles. Got to think it's like super fast though on, on this. But I can't uh, imagine it's very big. No. I mean, I remember installing it. I think it was... Was it Wolfenstein? I think that one was that one was six floppy disks, and it would basically you put it in a rant, 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 you know, disk one of six, and it would go through. And I can't remember what the installer was, but it was a real common installer. It was like the progress bar at the top, which is like your yeah. total progress, and then the progress per disk. <laughs> remember that? <laughs> it's funny. I was just talking about this game yesterday with somebody, and uh, he was telling me how he used to play with his son. He, he's probably fifty-two. He mm -hmm. said he was playing. He used to play with his son a bunch when his son was younger, and I said. Well, that's weird because I remember playing this with my dad mm -hmm. when when it came out. Are it's you my dad? No. <laughs> <laughs> no, but it was it was ninety two when it came out, and so I would have been sixteen. Mm -hmm. uh, and this guy's like, "Well, that can't be right." My son was born in ninety two, and I was like, "They must have played it well after it." Yeah, happened. yeah. But uh, I was trying to convince him that it had come out like ninety one, ninety two, and he would not believe me. He goes, "No, no, it had to be much much later." <laughs> yeah, uh, but and it's funny. Like I just had a lengthy conversation, and now here I'm talking about it again. I was just looking, when was Jurassic Park out? I know that one is shockingly, in you know, 1993. So this came yeah. out two years before Jurassic Park. Uh, that, that's just, that's blowing my mind. But anyway, um, so yeah, I, I remember when this came out. And before this, there were, you know, everything was like 2D side scrolling. I had a 286. It was a 12 megahertz 286. And uh, Wolf 3D would run just fine on it. And then I remember... Uh, after, shortly after this, then Doom came out and Doom was like mind blowing. And I had a friend who had a, I think he had a 486, 33 megahertz. And I went over to his place, me, <laughs> three, three geeks. We, we went over there and man, I think we played it all night. We had like, <laughs> we had like five bags of Doritos, a whole bunch of soda. And we just played like, you know, Doom all night and our minds were just blown the whole time. <laughs> right. oh, that's so awesome. Uh, I'm gonna sound. I sound pretty geeky now. And then uh, Doom Two uh, came out, which was was even better. Uh, but this is cool. Yeah, this game is. 
um, like the characters and everything. The funny thing is they're not even, they're not 3d. They're just sprites, you know, as they turn, they like, it's just showing like a side, you know, just a different picture of the same thing. Right. Doom was the one actually doom was still 2d. And then quake was the one that was actually three dimensional. But anyway, you can go out there and, uh, uh, build it yourself if you want to, which I think is pretty cool. Yeah, that's cool. I just think it's cool that, uh, all the pieces for this are available yet and still can work on modern machines. I think that's kind of a testament to, you know, the pieces that make this up. Yeah. And actually, where do you get the, where do you get the source code from? Oh, it looks like it's, yeah. I'm surprised like this isn't just up on GitHub. That would be, uh, that'd be pretty cool. But there's just a website where you just download like a zip and it's got all the source code. Um, man, that's pretty, that's pretty wild. What a, what a different era. Uh, so Carl mono game for windows eight tutorial and tons of new samples. What's this? Yep. Uh, a lot of people I know are kind of interested in, you know, game development. You know, when they, when you talk to somebody who is a developer by day and, you know, a lot of people aspire to making games. Well, mm-hmm. uh, mono game is an open source, uh, cross-platform way to write, uh, C sharp and .NET code that'll work on all of the major systems. Um, and, What's really cool is there's uh, this blog post that kind of just shows a bunch of new t- tutorials and, uh, you know, how, how you get started on making a game. Mm-hmm. And I thought for a lot of people out there, this would be a, a great resource. And it's on Channel 9. Uh, so, you know, it's it's great that Microsoft is just pushing this out. So, okay, you know, yeah, no matter how cool. you feel about, you know, this or not, if you're interested in games, you know, mono game is a fairly big platform and it covers iOS, Android, uh, windows phone, uh, windows and Linux. So check it out. Uh, the okay. next, the next thing I wanted to talk about is kind of cool. Uh, one of the features that, uh, we have with Cortana is you can ask it, ask her a question and you can refine it later on by like, if you ask, Hey, show me all the tie stores nearby. And then you can say, oh, uh, when she gives you the list, like, hey, uh, bring up the address for the second one. Well, mm-hmm. now Bing is starting to incorporate some of those features as well. So you can ask a follow-up question. And the one that I did when I tested this is I just did, you know, a plain name search for like Marilyn Monroe. And mm-hmm. when that came up in the box that was up there, I just said, how old was she? So I didn't reference Marilyn Monroe at all. And it said 36 years old. Mm-hmm. Um, I've tried this for a few other things. It seems to work best with people, or at least the things that my lame mind can come up with. But I just thought this was cool that you, you, the, the search engine is starting to understand context and remember a little bit about, you know, what you were searching for and that you probably want to ask follow up questions to refine the information that you're getting back. Yeah, it's it's showing the the real power of bing and and the reason that i think it's it's taken a while to um you know to get closer and closer to you know google search standards i think that um you know you're you're starting to see that it's it's really a a graph database and it it's it actually understands different concepts and one of the reasons i think it works well with people is people are fairly easy to understand you know standard attributes of them like age and height and in those typical things so that's been getting built up and now you can sort of uh you know have those things build on each other i tried it um i don't uh, w- what's going to happen is i'm going to forget to use it anytime that that 
it would actually make sense. I did try searching for, let me see here. Um, who is the, actually I said who first, who is the president? It didn't understand that. So I said, who is the president of the U S it says Barack Obama. And then you can say, um, who is his wife? Okay. Michelle Obama. And then you can say, how tall is she? Five feet, 11 inches. That's pretty tall. So it does work for that, but I'm probably going to forget to use this each time. <laughs> yeah. yeah, but I, I think I think the the natural extension of that at some point is being able to do it with your voice, right? And then it makes a whole bunch of sense. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I, I think this is this is an exciting feature. I think that there's there's things as the APIs become expanded as well, where developers can really exploit this as well. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. I, I didn't realize that the voice search wasn't in there because I know Google has that. They have the little microphone in the in the search text box. Yeah. I'm kind of surprised that's not in there. Uh, actually, I thought that they had done that. Uh, boy, I really thought that they had. And I'm surprised now that I'm going there that it's not. Yeah. No, nope, no big deal. Uh, Carl, CSS guidelines. Yep. Uh, this is something that you can find at CSS guidelines, which is... The ES, it's a .es domain, so cssguidelin.es. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, I kind of thought this was interesting because a lot of companies will have some sort of coding standards and practices for their code. But when it comes to CSS, a lot of times you see it's, you know, it kind of gets spaghetti-like. Mm-hmm. And what the purpose of this site is, is just to kind of have some overall structure on, you know, how do you uh, set up structure um, CSS, just like you would have coding style, uh, guidelines. Um, mm-hmm. and you know, they get very granular at, at points. Um, you know, you may argue over the spaces versus tabs things, but you know, they have, you know, <laughs> you know, like, you know how, how you put a, a, a title above, you know, a group of selectors that define, you know, a section like for your navigation and other things. And how how you indent properly for certain things, and how, how you might want to group things, you know, so on and so forth. Um, like I said, just because a lot of people do have coding standards, but then you look at their styling, you know, it's kind of all over the place. So um, is this somebody's opinion then? Is this, this like, is somebody's like, opinion, but I think that okay. you know a good chunk of it is pretty well grounded. Um, okay, they even go on to cover uh, aspects like using SAS and less. So they cover that kind of syntax as well. Mm-hmm. Understanding that not everybody just uses straight CSS nowadays. Yeah. Don't get me wrong. I, I think we're once something, once a language gets to a certain maturity, you have to start coming up with standards so that there's some consistency. Um, but it's, it's a dangerous game too. Um, fortunately that, I mean, this doesn't look like a validator. I know some of the validators are considered opinionated and it can be frustrating to some people, but these, I mean, these look like, I think if the, if the standards actually have some good, you know, reasons, and even if that reason is like, Hey, 90% of people format their CSS this way. I think that's a good reason. You know, there mm-hmm. doesn't have to be necessarily a, like a code logic reason. So this is, this is good though. I mean, I've definitely seen coding standards where I've disagreed with most of it. Yeah. And, um, but you know, this seems to be like, you know, a good starting point for people who may need to start doing something like this where they currently work. Mm-hmm. Okay. Pretty cool. What else you got? 
All right. The last one is uh, a little bit less technical, but you know, a lot of times when uh, we go on vacation, you know, you take a week or two off and you come back and you're just slammed with email. Mm -hmm. Um, This last article uh, was titled should holiday mail be deleted? You know, it's from the BBC. So, you know, they call vacations holidays. Um, But they were talking about people who, when they go on vacation, any email that you send them just gets deleted. Uh, Their Mm -hmm. out of office reminder says, Hey, um, I'm going to be gone. Any email you send me is going to be deleted. Um, When I come back, you can send me stuff at that point. So yeah, I just thought this was a very, it was a very interesting way to kind of, you know, you, I mean, when you come back, sometimes you have a little bit of attention because you're, you're, you know, you don't want to see that in, you know, inbox just be flooded, especially when it's like 30 meetings that have already passed, you know, like, Yep. yep. Yeah. Here's her out of office. Many thanks for your mail. Unfortunately, I won't be able to read it as I am taking my annual email sabbatical from August 1st to 20 August 29th. All my emails will be automatically deleted. See you in September. Yours, Joanna. I love this. I love this. I, you know, of course, the fear is there's going to be like two emails. I'm going to get one from, you know, like the CEO, you know, saying like, Hey, you're awesome. Uh, maybe that's not going to happen. <laughs> <laughs> somebody, somebody up my org chart though. Right. Like my boss is going to ask something of me and, and I'm going to, I'm just going to miss it. And then he's, you know, I guess if it's important, he's going to send it again. So it, you got to sort of detach. You just gotta, you just gotta let it go. And I think this reply, uh, helps state that. So I, I love, I love the way that that is stated. So what do you think, Jeff? Uh, I actually have, um, I don't always adhere to it, but I, I have a, a funny office reply that I use that, that is along these lines. Yeah. It's basically, I'm on vacation from this date to this date. Um, I've set up a rule in my inbox so that each person can only send me one email. If a second email shows up, it randomly picks one and deletes it. Uh, <laughs> this, this is already one mail. <laughs> right. So, uh, so, um, I've used that many times as a, as a way to kind of let people know, Hey, by the way, there's a good chance you're not getting responded to. Yeah. Um, but I, I have tried to get much better about that. I, uh, you know, as my kids have gotten older, I've tried to make vacations sacred. The phone stays off. Um, I don't get on the computer. Uh, mm-hmm. it's just, let's be on vacation. And I come back more refreshed and more energized and, right. and ready to go. Yeah, and two thirds of those emails too are going to be things that have already been problems that have already been solved. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Uh, but you do that day you're coming back. There's all that stress. Like, like Carl said, that it's just like, Oh, I got to get through the inbox. I don't want to do that. <laughs> I need a vacation. Right. right. <laughs> and, and you always have people like you see Scott Hanselman on Twitter all, all the time. who jokes about my job is deleting email and yeah, absolutely. Right. Cool. So <clears throat> let's get to talking to Jeff here. So <laughs> I, I have a little bit of a confession. I, uh, I did not go to your presentation at that conference. Um, I want to see it. I was, there were a couple of reasons there were, um, well, the biggest reason was you're on my team and I actually figured there was a pretty good odds that I was going to see that, uh, presentation elsewhere. That's, so, that's a, that's a good assumption. What did you end up going to see? I want to know what I lost to. <laughs> uh, I knew you were going to ask that. And, uh, um, I, I, I actually, I don't want to say, but it wasn't, I don't think it was as good as yours. It was, a, right. it was basically a technical session and I wanted to learn more about it and I didn't learn much more about it. And I feel bad that I didn't go to yours, oh, no, but I don't right. want to, I don't want to make the other speaker feel bad. So I, I gave this talk for the first time at uh, another conference that, um, I don't know if you've heard of, it's called the Kalamazoo X conference. Mm-hmm. Have you heard of that? 
No. Um, it, I think it's started five years ago now, um, but it's held obviously in Kalamazoo, Michigan, and it was designed to be uh, a full day of conferences, one track. Every con- every talk is only a half an hour, mm. and it's it only covers topics um, that are important to software developers that aren't technical, mm-hmm. right? So things like the the fear talk that I gave, all sorts of stuff about managing your career and making it your own, um, how to maybe how to go independent, lot, lots of other types of topics, right? All the stuff that's important to developers that isn't technology. Mm-hmm. And uh, so I gave it for the first time there and the, one of the organizers recorded it. They, they record all the sessions, um, but they haven't yet posted it online. So when that gets posted online, I will make mm. sure I... Well, there we go. Perfect. Because uh, I, I think I did a pretty decent job. Oh, that's good. <laughs> yeah. So um, I do, I, I think you're a great speaker. I haven't, I haven't seen a lot of your stuff. <clears throat> I know that, that you gave an internal presentation um, out at Redmond and I saw that one. And, and what I what I like about how you present what's what I actually, what I find amazing is that I don't, if, if there's 50 people there, it feels exactly the same as, as like it does right now, if I was just talking to you and it's just like, Oh yeah, here's, you know, here's what I know. Here's what I think you should do. And I just, I really like the style. Um, and I appreciate somebody who can do that. Cause I, I can't do that. Um, when you when you call it a style, it seems like it's purposeful and crafted, and I wish that were the case. It really is just a like that has been my approach the entire time. Is yeah, I I want it to be conversational and approachable, and uh, I've seen many many presenters that get up on stage and they spend an hour convincing you they're smarter than you, and that that's yeah, not yeah. that's not my mo. I want to get up there and have you be excited about. Uh, whatever the topic may be, whether that's fear and, and, you know, getting over some of the things that bother you or, um, you know, using Azure mobile services in your windows phone app, whatever the thing may be, I want you to leave the room. Like, man, I really, that, that got me fired up and ready to go. That's what I want to do. Not, right. man, I wish I was as smart as the guy on the stage. That would be neat. Um, well, which, people, yeah, people already chose to go there. So they, they, you already have the credibility. Exactly. I, I, that's exactly how I feel, but there's a lot of speakers that mm-hmm. insecure or whatever they are, uh, feel the need to just beat it into their attend their attendees heads that, yeah. look, I'm, I'm really smart. I, yeah. We get, we get it. You're already on stage. Yeah. I, I always worry about that. Um, but at the same token, like I read an article a few years ago that, that really changed my perception. There was a, a teacher where he would come into the room and, and, uh, he would do what most teachers would do. He would, you know, write his name on the board and, you know, give a little bit of background. And what he decided to try was just walking in and just teaching instead of introducing himself. And then he compared that, you know, it was not really that scientific, but he would look at the the ratings, the reviews of the, of the class. And it went up whenever he, like the, the less of an introduction he did, the higher the ratings, you know, because huh. people were already there. They, they already had a reason to be there. They already were like, well, Hey, I want to learn from this guy. So he would come in, he wouldn't even say his name and that actually he got some of the the best ratings. So whenever I start a presentation now, I always try to, you know, it, the, the first part of it is always critical. So I try to start with some information. Um, and then, you know, after like the second or third slide, I'll, I'll introduce myself. And I see a lot of people doing that now. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think that's a, that's a good angle um, because you really want to hook them and you want them to stick around. And- mm mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, you see in, in nearly every presentation you go to in the first five minutes, you'll see a couple people just get up and leave yeah, because it wasn't what they thought or the guy's boring or, you know, whatever the reason, but, um, he, you haven't grabbed them. Mm-hmm. Uh, totally agree with that. Yeah. So what, excuse me, what motivated you to create a talk about fear? Well, uh, there were two reasons. Um, 
the first was when I was, when I was writing this deck, um, I was really struggling professionally with what I wanted to do. And in talking with my wife and talking with my friends, you know, working for Microsoft, it's, it's that constant conversation about, do I want to move to Redmond? Mm-hmm. Do I want to, do I want to move to Washington? Cause there, there are, there's a wealth of opportunities there, but it's terrifying, right? I've got to up, uproot my whole family. We've got to move out there. And then what if I don't like that job or what if it isn't everything I hope it is, you know, I, I work from home right now. It's hard to compete with that. Right. And so, um, that was part of it. Uh, but the other big piece for me um, is actually a big focus of the end of the presentation. Uh, last year at that conference, my son had a, had a medical emergency. He basically had some bleeding on his brain. And we went uh, and had to go to a hospital and do all this stuff. And it was a, a, a condition called an AVM, which is a, a weakness in a vein in your brain. Um, and in February... Uh, and I'm sure you've talked about him or, or some way on this show. Mm-hmm. Uh, our friend Dave Bost had the same thing happen to him. Uh, and after being in a coma for about a month, he died. And it re- really made me realize, one, that what a huge bullet I had dodged with my son, knowing how serious this condition is. Uh, but two, like I realized like he had left two little girls behind and how incredibly sad I would be knowing that that had, you know, something had happened to me. Mm-hmm. And so I started trying to lose some weight and get in shape and, and start working towards not the lifestyle that I had, right. Which was, Oh, cheeseburger. I'll eat that. And seven pieces of pizza. That sounds good. And let me sit on the couch all day instead of getting any exercise. And so that kind of that, that fear of dying young, in addition to all of the other fears that I saw myself kind of living with, um, I thought it would make a really interesting talk. And so that's that's kind of where it all came from. Not to totally make this uh, talk just take a downward turn. Sorry about <laughs> yeah. that. Let's, let's lighten the mood now. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's everybody. Everybody has those same feelings, though. And I think that's right. why people can relate to it. Yeah. yeah. So um, that, that's that's been a big thing for me. Sorry, Carl. Go ahead. I was going to say, uh, professionally, Scott Hanselman talks a lot about like the imposter syndrome. But I saw in, in your deck, you also brought up the Dunning-Kruger effect. And yeah. I was wondering if you could explain what those are and how they may relate or differ to each other and, you know, how, how you presented them in your, in your talk. Sure. So, so with imposter syndrome, I think all of us as developers have encountered this at some point, right? We all feel like we're pretty good at what we do. We can write some code. We can make a web page, do what we want it to do. Uh, but then there's that moment where someone says, Hey, can I see your code? And you just clench up a little <laughs> bit like, <laughs> Well, and then you start defending it. Well, you know, I made this compromise here and I did this because of this reason. Like they haven't even asked, right? But you you yep. start to defend it like, oh my God, they're going to see through my insecurities and they're going to realize that I'm, I'm, I'm a terrible coder and I'm a fraud, right? Like that's, mm-hmm. that's something that comes through with a, with a lot of developers. And so um, that was one of the fears that I knew everybody could identify with as I was talking. And as I was doing a little research on it, I found out that there is an opposite condition, uh, which is called the Dunning-Kruger effect. Uh, at first, people read it and they think it's the Diane Kruger effect, which is a totally different thing. <laughs> um, but the the Dunning Kruger effect is uh, really the opposite of imposter syndrome, which is you think you're really good at something and you're terrible. Um, and uh, a good example of this that I use in my presentation, it, it's better with a visual, uh, but it's a mugshot of two guys uh, that had gotten arrested trying to rob a bank. And what they had done was taken sharpies and scribbled all over their faces. And the reason that they did this is they were convinced that that would beat any kind of facial recognition or camera that was going to see them commit the crime. This is way better than like a ski mask because there's no way they'd be able to be recognized with marker all over their face. That is an example of Dunning-Kruger, right? Like they're absolutely surely convinced that they're going to be able to get away with this. Uh, and in fact, it didn't work at all. 
Wow. So I'm pretty sure I have all of these. I have fear. I have the Dunning-Krieger effect and I have imposter syndrome. <laughs> this is not good. No, no, What is no, my no, prognosis? But, uh, it's, it's not good. Um, <laughs> no, the thing is though, is that they're all just, they're all just mental things, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, there are a lot of things that I think I'm good at. And until I compete with other people, I don't realize, you know, I have no idea that I'm good or bad. Um, thankfully, a lot of the things that I do like to compete in like golf, uh, everybody gets a number. Everybody has a handicap that's competitive at golf. And mm-hmm. so I can very quickly just say, oh, what's your handicap? And I know without a doubt whether or not I'm a better golfer than you, right? It's, ve- it's very uh, meticulous and mathematical as to whether or not uh, we are better golfers. I don't have, have to play with you. If you know your handicap and you're a 15 and I'm a 12, technically I'm a better golfer than you. You're going to ask me to give you strokes. Mm-hmm. Um, but it it is it's one of those things that with imposter syndrome especially – uh, you can't let it get in your way, right? I mean, I, I will be perfectly honest with you, Jason. When I joined our team, um, I sat there and looked around and said, what am I doing here? Like, how did <laughs> the world did I get past that gate? Uh, but as I've spent some time and I've gotten to realize that, you know, you guys are all smart, capable developers uh, and that maybe – Maybe I belong, like maybe I do fit in. Maybe I am, you know, I'm, I, I come at it from a slightly different angle than most of you guys. Uh, our team has a really heavy Azure focus and I'm much more the, the client side guy, right? I care about mm-hmm. the web and phone and, and windows and that stuff. Um, but we all have a, a lot to offer each other, I think, uh, from those perspectives. Exactly. It's, it, we, make you, just, we make each other stronger. Right. And that's that's been a struggle for me because when I sit in a meeting with a bunch of Azure guys, I can't compete at that level. Mm-hmm. But I'm not supposed to. That's not the role I'm supposed to be playing. And so yep. the more I take the time to remember that, the the easier it gets. Yeah. And there are plenty of technologies where that's the case with me, too. And it, it's funny. I, I, I don't I think it's sort of unique to being a Microsoft employee. Uh, anybody you talk to, they just assume, you know, every everything about every Microsoft product. I mean, from, you know, like Dynamics AX to, you know, I don't know, whatever. Even the intricacies of their Xbox. I mean, I I don't know how many people ask about their Xbox just because I work for Microsoft. Yeah, I'm getting this error. It's F3-295. It's like, uh, I don't don't have one of those. So (laughs) I don't know. (laughs) So so how would you rob a bank? Whoa. Uh, (laughs) I can tell you how I would do it one if you if you uh, if you don't have anything. Uh, I don't have anything off the top of my head, but I would imagine there's. There's definitely some pulleys and, and all black clothing involved. But I, other than that, I haven't really thought it through. No, I, I saw a movie a couple of years ago and I, this is still, this has to be foolproof. And we'll have to find it, but it was, uh, it was Bill Murray and he was, he was dressed up as a clown and they had, they had these clowns go into this bank and, uh, they, they, you know, they grabbed all the money and then I, man, I can't even remember all the details, but, but the, the genius part about it was. Since he was in a clown, you know, he had like all the makeup on and everything. Like you couldn't ID him. And then what he ended up doing was he took all the makeup off and uh, he cleaned up and then he came out with the, um, whenever they sent out the first group of hostages. So he came out as a hostage. Oh, brilliant. So he was able to rob the bank. And I, I don't remember exactly how they got the money out, but then he came out as a hostage and he acted, you know, it's like, like he was so terrified in that. And I just thought it was, uh. That was really clever, like playing the hostage. Oh, that's very cool. I, it started to sound like the beginning of the Heath Ledger Batman movie. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that one was uh, pretty clever, too. Uh, oh, but quick yeah, change. I, Carl found it. Nice. Quick change. I'm going to oh, have to watch gonna, that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't remember all the details, but I just remember watching that. I think I've seen it a long time. It's from 1990. So it's older yeah. than uh, Wolfenstein. 
but I I remember, that's on the Netflix. Yeah. So I, I, I saw this years and years ago and I'm like, Hmm, that seems pretty foolproof. I'm sure our smart listeners, you know, will be like, yeah, that's stupid. That doesn't work. But <laughs> <laughs> I tried that. Yeah. Yeah. After, I've given it two runs. <laughs> yeah. yeah. After 20 years of jail time, I know it doesn't work. Right. Um, Okay, what do we got here? Okay, um, I, th- I think you've talked about the tease or the, you know, a little bit of the background of the presentation. So, Carl, you got a question? Yeah, so, you know, kind of going from that imposter syndrome talk, you know, a lot of, you know, the side effects that can happen from that is, you know, kind of, you know, just locking up and not doing anything. You know, do you have any tips maybe for people to, you know, get out of that? Maybe just find ways to be productive, any techniques that you use or, you know, yeah, you've so seen? I actually, I talk about that. I use a horrible pun. Uh, by the way, when I, when I build a presentation, one of the first things I always do, and she hates it is I walk my wife through the slides uh, and I'll and just give her the quick gist, right? I don't make her sit through the whole presentation, but I walk her through and kind of give her the theme of each slide. Um, and she absolutely hated this specific slide in that presentation uh, because it's just a picture of the comic book character, the flash, uh, it's just his logo mm-hmm. uh, on the screen. And uh, I, I jump to that and I say one of the, th- and this is just, again, this is all my opinion, but this is kind of how I handle these situations. Um, there are lots of opportunities where you run into that, that flash, that pit in your stomach where you're like, I should be doing something or this doesn't feel right. Or they're going to hate this. Or uh, the moment, the moment I get it every time is when you're it's, it's Friday, it's four fifty, and your boss jumps. I am. He's like, Hey, can you talk for a second? Like immediately, like <laughs> everything you've ever done wrong comes immediately to mind. Yep. Um, and just that, that fear washes over you. So what, I, what I've learned to do when I feel like I'm getting overwhelmed or I'm not doing something right or I'm worried my boss is going to hate me or fire me or whatever um, is actively sit down and try to address what those fears are, right? Write it down on a notebook and say, okay, I'm really afraid I'm going to lose my job. What are things that, that trigger it? Like really break it down and like analyze the problem. Um, and use those feelings as a, a motivation to do this. Um, and then take those things and, and build out an action plan and say, okay, well, instead of getting fired and just being on the path that I'm on, let's set some goals for myself. Instead of you know worrying about getting fired, why don't I build out a plan to try and get promoted in the next 12 months mm-hmm. um, and think about actively working towards that. And if you, if you build out a, a plan for yourself to get promoted in the next 12 months, even talk with your boss about it, um, you should feel far more confident about the fact that you're not going to get fired, right? You've, you've built out an action plan. You've talked with your boss. You're excited about the opportunity. Um, and you're going to get feedback that says, look, I, I don't know why you feel that way, but don't worry. We're not, you know, we're not moving anywhere without you. So uh, that's one of the tips I generally give is to use that, that, that flash of fear as motivation to get really analytical about what the thing is you're afraid of. Um, I don't know if that's a, a great piece of advice, but that's kind of how I use it is turn it into something more positive. Okay. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. I, <clears throat> I, you know, I, I was, uh, I've been fired and that makes that, uh, that worry go up by like a hundred times. Yep. Cause you, if you get fired twice, like, what does that say about you? <laughs> Absolutely. <laughs> that's, yeah. that's terrifying. That's really terrifying mm-hmm. cause it's like, oh, that could happen. And it did. And it could happen again. Uh-huh. And it may have nothing to do with you. I've, in my mm-hmm. career, I've been, I've worked for a bunch of companies, but I've been fired twice. No, neither of them were like, Hey, you're doing a poor job. And right. We're done exactly. It's like, Hey, we've, you know, the company's struggling or, uh, in the, this was my very first job out of college. 
Uh, I built a website for uh, a company and the entire business was wrapped around the website. And so I built them this website and I built them a whole bunch of administrative tools so they could edit and add and update the site, you know, without having to really code anything. Uh, and once I was done, my boss pulled me into his office and he goes, all right, this site's great. Thank you. Yep. Today's your last day. Been there. <laughs> awesome. I, I wrote myself out of a job. Yeah. So, so let's talk about productivity a little bit. Um, I noticed that you've done um, some productivity presentations and I'm sort of a productivity addict. And actually, you know, you were talking about the, the goals for, you know, kind of the upcoming year. And what I actually did, um, you know, our fiscal year doesn't line up with the calendar year. So, you know, while most people are making goals in January, I tend to do it on a fiscal year now to line up with the Microsoft calendar. Mm -hmm. What I ended up doing, I use Trello for like just about everything, like any kind of tasks or anything like that. So what I did is I actually have a list in there under my Microsoft board and I just called it the big list. And it's basically like, what are the big things that I want to do this year? So there's things in there about like the, and it, it's not necessarily related to work specifically. It, it covers like everything. I just, all the big things I want to get done. So one of them was, you know, a certain number of downloads of the podcast this year. And, um, you know, I want to, I want, there's, there's just certain big things that I want to get done. That way I keep looking at that list, like pretty much every day I see that list and it's like, okay, can I do anything to sort of take a step toward that list? Mm -hmm. And then what I do, uh, that board, I use it. I, um, I've, I've gotten sort of out of practice and I, I need to get back into practice, but I, I use the Pomodoro technique. I don't know if you use that. I have, I don't use it regularly, but I have used it. Yeah. So I've, I've gone through like the whole quote unquote certification process, which is completely unnecessary, but it's basically, you know, for anybody who hasn't heard of it, you work for, uh, 25 minutes. Um, it could be 20. I, I can never I remember 20. 20. You work for 20 minutes and you only focus on one thing and you, you, you stop all external or all interruptions, internal and external. So it's, you know, don't check Twitter and Facebook and all these other things. You just focus on that one task and then you get a five minute break. And, uh, and then you get a break after four hours. I think there's a, there's a longer break. And I, I which I really, I'm not strict on that portion of it because the, the key part about it is just that focusing on one thing. Cause I find so many times when I'm, it's like, oh, I got to do this. And then I think of another thing, oh, I got to do this too. And I just, I totally get ADD in what I'm working on. So that using the Pomodoro technique helps me focus. It's like, okay, just do this one thing and I'll turn on the timer and have the, the clicking and all that. And it's just like, work, 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 work. And then you get this, this total clarity today. I did that. I'm working on, uh, um, some content for a quality guide. And it's just talking about, um, how we create quality software. And, you know, so I just started a timer and I'm just sitting there focusing on that purely and I can actually get stuff done. And that's, that's always my key. Like, how do I get, how do I know that I'm working on the right things and how do I just get stuff done? That's, that's very cool. So yeah, actually the, the fear talk that I gave was actually spawned from a talk that I had given mm -hmm. last year called you have too much time. Mm -hmm. And the whole concept of that one is how much we just waste our time going to Twitter, going to Facebook. It's not that those things are bad at all. It's just that we don't, we don't use our time effectively at all. Right. And it's because we're constantly context switching and moving from one thing to another. And if we would just sit down and get stuff done, uh, and get it out of the way instead of postponing. Well, I'll finish that thing later, right? Yeah, um, we we'd be far better off and have a whole lot more time to actually. Yeah, I our actually lives. I actually looked at all of your presentations and this one specifically. There's a slide that I loved. Um, let me find it here. Um, 
you talk amongst yourselves. <laughs> let me let me find let me find it here. Where was it? Uh, series of priorities. I think it's right after that. Well, while you're looking for that, I'll, I'll yep. tell a, a quick story. So um, going back to what you said about um, time and, and, and you setting some goals, uh, that's actually one of the things that I talk about in both the presentations is the idea that I can get in front of an audience and I can ask them, hey, somebody tell me their favorite TV show, right? And in a, I think it was about 100 people in the presentation uh, at that conference. You know, everybody raises their hand and they want to tell you about Doctor Who or whatever, you know, Walking Dead, whatever show they're they're into right now. But everybody's got a hand up hoping to tell you what their favorite TV show is. Mm -hmm. And then I immediately cut to the next slide, which is, all right, who can tell me their top three goals for this year? <laughs> and not a single hand goes up. Yep. Everybody just looks at you like, what do you mean? And the, the finish Doctor Who. Right. <laughs> <laughs> the, the whole point of that little exercise is to show them that um, if you don't have goals, like, what are you doing with your time? You're, you're wasting it. Like you're just kind of hanging out and doing stuff, but you don't really have any like concrete things you're working towards. Mm -hmm. Um, so that's, that's been a, a really eye opening thing. I think for the folks that have attended, this is holy cow. Like I really don't have any goals. It's just don't get fired, pay off my house and breathe. Right. Like those yeah. are their, those are their goals. And I've had a lot of people reach out to me afterward and say, you know, this is awesome. Now I've started, you know, I finally found the motivation to build that app. Like that's my goal for this year or whatever it is. Um, maybe it's just spend more time with your family or retire or, you know, whatever mm -hmm. retire is definitely in my top three every year, by the way. Yeah. <laughs> well, and I, I think it's okay. I think it's okay to have periods in your life where you're not sure, but, sure. um, you know, I, I went through that whenever I was interviewing it at, at Microsoft, like I just, there was just, I was at a point of a, a lot of uncertainty and they'd say, well, like, what is your plan for the next couple of years? And I said, I don't know. And I said, I don't really care. I said, I just want to all I really want to do is something that I enjoy and I'll, I'll figure it out later. And I have, you know, sure. just, it just, I was, I sort of have these periods where I'm just like, I'm not quite sure which direction I want to go. And then you just sort of figure it out after thinking about it for a while. So I found the slide that I was talking about. So I love this because this is so true. Uh, it says we have too much time. So we spend it aimlessly. And I find that, you know, completely true. We have, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, of course, you know, let's say a third of that goes to sleep. Uh, but the rest of it, and we have a certain amount that we have to dedicate to work, obviously. But whenever you actually add up the number of hours we have available, there's a lot of hours in there. And if there you if you want to spend all of that time with friends, you can do that. If you want to spend all of that time with family, you can do that. If you want to spend all of that in front of a TV, you can do that. Um, so we have a ton of time available to us. It's it is about choices. What are we, how are we choosing to spend that time when you have, when you say, I don't have time to do that, um, you know, it could be because of short-term scheduling, but you know, if it's something that's, that's further out, I mean, you're just prioritizing other things over that. So I just, that, that's I found exactly that slide right. amazing. That, that's, that's actually one of the points I make in the presentation actually is mm -hmm. when someone says, I don't have time for that, what are you really saying to them? It's that that's not important to me. I'd rather do something else. Um, but you're really stating that I have prioritized some other activity over what you're asking me to do. And that's not bad. Right. Um, but I did run some stats on how people spend their time. And if you figure people work eight hours a day and they sleep eight hours a day, it leaves eight hours. Mm -hmm. And then I went to, uh, the Nielsen website where they have a whole bunch of studies and information. And it showed that across all digital media, this is including things like streaming and playing video games and everything else. Uh, Americans on average spend seven hours a day doing that. 
So it's no wonder we don't have any time we're spending. And that includes, you know, watching the news when you're getting ready in the morning and everything. But yeah, that is a, that is a giant pile of wasted time. Yeah. One thing I've been trying to do is the things that I do find important enough to do. I'm trying to multitask. So, you know, can I can I go for a walk and listen to podcasts? You know, that that's kind of an right. obvious one. But, you know, how can I comp- combine two different things? I think podcasts, you know, anybody listening to this is obviously a podcast listener. And, uh, you know, that's a great way to multitask. So you can learn while you're doing it. So then that, that doesn't feel like wasted time. Right. But, um, yeah, I mean, I, I always feel guilty anytime I'm not learning something. I, I actually can't, I think I've mentioned this before on the show. It like pains me to read, uh, fiction books. And I know some people, you know, lots of people can do that, but when I'm reading a fiction book, I always feel like I'm wasting time. You know, it's funny too, cause I can watch like fiction shows and it doesn't have the same effect, but I, I always have that <laughs> voice in the back of my head, like go do something constructive, <laughs> right? Go get something done. Absolutely. Yeah. yeah. Um, Carl, you got another question for him. Actually, I think we went through that one. Oh, uh, last question. And this is off of, uh, something that you mentioned on Twitter. So Ford edge or Jeep Wrangler. Uh, I went with the Jeep Wrangler. Okay. <laughs> so uh, I was I was really torn for just a slight amount of time. Uh, Ford has been really good about supporting uh, Windows Phone and all of their audio and entertainment stuff in their mm-hmm. cars. And so I had been really – I had a Ford Focus. I don't drive a whole lot because I work from home and right. when I'm traveling, I'm in the airport. So I really struggled with that to buy – what was the point of buying an expensive car? But um, the lease was up and I decided to, to try something new. Went and drove the Jeep, and then they started showing me how it. The, the thing that really pulled me in is that I am a maker, right? I'm, I'm not like crazy MakerBot guy. I'm not crazy 3D printing guy. I enjoy that stuff, but I like making stuff. And the more I looked at the Jeep and looked at the ecosystem around it, mm-hmm. the more I realized like everything on this car is built specifically to be replaced. Uh, they don't change anything about that car except about every 12 years. Really, and and so if I want, I mean, there is entire um, that like there's an entire ecosystem around Jeeps, and I can go out and buy new doors, or I can go buy a new steering wheel, or I can go buy new anything for this vehicle and replace it. Uh, it it's just absolutely amazing to me. And if I want to take the doors off and drive without them, it's two, it literally two screws on each door. That's it. They they've constructed it in such a way. There's a a connector that fits into the car, so you unplug the little connector that has the electronics for like the windows and stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, and then you just undo the, the two bolts in the hinge and it's, it's off. Uh, and it's very, very easy to drive around with no doors on your car or um, take the roof off or replace just about anything. It's, it was absolutely, that, that absolutely sold. Plus I can drive in the mud and on the beach and stuff like that. That's pretty cool. Yeah, no, that is pretty cool. I, I didn't realize that. I don't know a lot about Jeep. So I, I um, didn't either until I started looking around and now I have a pulley system in my garage that I can lift the hard top off, uh, with one person it's a it's a three-person job to take that hard top off otherwise okay yeah because i uh you know uh you know just like with with code i i always feel this need to just to fix everything myself yeah um so uh you know i've i fixed um man my my old car the the serpentine belt and it was wore out and i actually had to like lift up the one half of the engine to replace it it was uh because it went around the engine mount but uh and i've also changed some other crazy stuff so that is pretty cool if they're if they're trying to make it more modular and, and easier to swap things like that, that's pretty cool. Yeah. It's super cool. Um, is there any, any other interesting projects or anything else going on you want to talk about? 
Well, I'm, I'm kind of in the process of working on a pet project I've had for a couple of years now. Uh, it's an app I'm working on. Um, I don't know if I've talked to you about my, my windows phone, windows eight app called King poker. Have I shown you that? Um, it, you, I saw it a couple months ago. Okay. So I'm, I'm slowly but surely working on, uh, adding a bunch of more features to the windows eight version. But the more I looked at it, I, I built this well before universal apps and all that stuff existed. And so I'm, I'm really tempted to just kind of start over and build from a, a universal app perspective. Um, but there's a, there's a whole lot that I'm trying to bake into it, right? I'm trying to take advantage of things like in-app purchases and, um, adding more features and more games and more accessibility, uh, as well as a whole bunch of analytics behind the scenes. A lot of people don't realize this, but with, um, when I built this app, I built it so that it, it was meant to be one, um, continuous experience. So if you were on your phone or you were on your, your PC, um, when you opened the app, it knew how many tokens you had, right? How many credits you'd earned. Uh, and I was syn- synchronizing all of that behind the scenes with uh, Azure Mobile Services. And so I had, at one point, I had to purge it. Um, I pulled it all down locally. But I, at one point, I had just under 17 million hands had been played. Uh, and I had, you know, not only your starting hand, but your finishing hand and how many credits you had and what your outcome was and date timestamp and all that stuff, uh, was stored. So it was, it was interesting to run some analytics on it. Mm-hmm. Um, and, but the one big project that I want to do is that based on ads be- across the two platforms, I, I'm not making a fortune. I'm making like 150 a month. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I want to, and this is something that I've, I've been struggling with talking with lawyers and all sorts of other stuff about. I want to provide an opportunity for people that are playing the game to win real money, mm. not by not by gambling any of their own, mm-hmm. but more like a prize or a sweepstakes. And okay. so, uh, looking at the analytics over the last two years, I'm averaging a a little less than one royal flush a month okay. that that people have gotten. And so, what I wanted to do was, if I'm making $150 a month anyway, I think I'm going to put up like a, a $50 prize that um, if you hit a royal flush you win $50 and I'll have to have some way to gather your information or contact me or something. And be, uh, be real careful because you know, people will start trying to hack that specifically. So absolutely. always put something in there like maximum payout per month or something like that. And you always, yeah, no, I absolutely agree. And that's, yeah. that's one of the other big architecture pieces I have to really focus on is I can't let them reverse engineer it. I can't let them take it apart and be like, oh, I just have to call this web service and pass in these values and boom, I've got a $50 check. Right. So I absolutely agree. There's a lot that goes into that, but that's that's something that I'm working on that I think would be pretty cool because if you look across any app on any platform, nobody is doing something like that. Right. And I don't, I don't know why, especially for companies like PopCap and other companies that make a fortune. Why wouldn't you? Right. Well, they, they, they like taking your money and not giving you yeah, money. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But I, I think... <laughs> I think it's a way to drive more purchases and more play. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, And I mean, I have a decent user base as it is, but it would be really cool to kind of blow that out. So I agree. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Uh, So on to the app of the week. So this was one that I found that I actually wasn't even going to suggest, but Carl said, Hey, that's pretty cool. So it's a battery bar. I think it's actually called battery bar pro. Even though there's a non, I'm using the non pro version. I'm going to, I'm going to buy it here. I just downloaded this app today because on the surface pro three and, and even on uh, certain laptops, I know windows won't always tell you the amount of time remaining and it won't give you all these detailed stats. This tool is pretty awesome. Even if you don't buy the pro version, like it tells me, um, let me just go through the stats here. It gives me the battery percentage, which is nice. Um, 
in windows, you don't get that by default unless you actually click on the battery because it'll normally just show like a little picture of a battery and it's not very specific. So give me the battery percentage, gives me the actual uh, milliwatt hour capacity of the battery and what's remaining. If I'm charging, it'll give me the charge rate. Uh, it'll do the estimated time remaining and it will, you know, learn from the previous charges so that it can keep uh, getting better and better. Uh, let's see here, full run time. So it's estimating your full battery time and then the amount of battery where you've had. So how, how full will the, uh, you know, the battery uh, actually get? Cause these batteries, you know, after years will, will start to, to start to uh, lose their initial capacity. I know they've gotten better. Um, this thing do you remember the stat, Carl? I think it was supposed this battery was supposed to last like five years at like eighty percent after five years. Yeah, at like a charge a day or two charges a day. It's something pretty crazy. So it's it's pretty uh, respectable battery in this thing. So it's uh it's a it's a pretty cool uh, app. Also, this is uh this is just for Windows eight. So this is actually a desktop app. I know all of our other apps have been. Uh, um, you know, modern apps for, for phone or windows, but this one actually just runs on the desktop. It sits in the tray. So it's really oh. more of a utility app. Um, but like I said, for like the surface pro three, this thing is, I think is a must. Um, cause I, I kept, uh, you know, you, you can't see like the rate of drain and I, it was this thing for whatever reason, they turned it off where it gives you the estimate on a laptop. It'll say like three hours remaining, it, you know, built into windows, but on the surface pro three, for whatever reason, it just says uh, the percentage and that's it. So this, hmm. this utility gives you back that functionality. That's pretty cool. I, uh, yep. I just recently got a surface pro three. I got it on Tuesday. Okay. And, um, are you guys familiar with a game called hearthstone? No, it's made by blizzard. Sounds um, familiar. It's a, it is a strategic card game basically, but it's all, it's all digital on, uh, they have an app on every platform. Okay. Um, but it is, it runs hot on everything on my laptop, on, <laughs> on a beefy desktop with a huge video card. Like it just runs hot always. Yeah. And I sat in the airport this morning. I had to get there really early. Uh, and I, I probably sat in the airport for three, three hours this morning, but between sitting on the train, getting to the airport and the three hours there playing this game for a good portion of it, uh, I used up the entire battery on a surface pro three. Yeah. So how long and was that? All, like four hours. Oh yeah. Yeah. So it, it's, it's totally possible. Like, it's funny because when people are talking about battery life and you know, this thing I think is quoted for like nine hours that that's not really saying what you're doing. Right. I I guarantee that if you ran um, like a CPU testing tool on this thing and actually peg the CPU and peg the hard drive and everything else, you could, you could drain it in less than an hour. Um, and if you, you know, pegged everything about it, so yep. it's highly dependent on what you're doing. Um, I know Chrome is a, is a big battery hog. Um, visual studio, I think is, is a battery hog as well. Cause I, I tried, um, I was in a hack fest recently and I was using sublime text. So basically, you know, it's just a, it's just a real simple editor and I was doing no JS work all day and I thought I'd just stay unplugged just to see what would happen. And, uh, I got over seven hours and I still had, I think 15 to 20% left. So I, I could have made it to eight hours. I'm pretty sure on one charge. Now, a couple of days later, I was using Visual Studio doing the same thing. And I think my estimate was about five hours, right? Uh, yeah. Four or five hours. And then, yeah, playing a game like I've um, I've turned on like Age of Empires on this. And I think it's even far worse on the it's funny because it's an old game, but it's it's just it's not made to be efficient. It was, you know, built in a desktop era and that thing probably two, maybe three hours on the on the Surface Pro 3, which actually yeah. 
when you think about it, it isn't terrible. I mean, that's pretty darn good for playing a game. Right. To think about the hardware that you're holding, it's this tiny little tablet yeah. with a touch screen and a pen and everything else. Yeah. Uh, but it was, I mean, normally the first couple of days I had it, I was using it an average amount, I suppose. I wasn't doing development on it yet. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I had no problem lasting the whole day and still having, you know, 40, 50% left. Yeah. Um, so for me to burn through it in four hours was kind of surprising. Yeah. The but, other thing that I always point out about this thing that I don't know if you noticed this, the fact that the it's actually whenever it is on your lap, the heat is not being vented out to your uh, to your legs. It, it goes up, you know, because it's, yeah. it's got that edge ventilation. Mm-hmm. So my, yeah, nice. we, we were uh, <laughs> this is a true story. I was in the car uh, yesterday with my wife and and she's sitting there reading a news article and she goes, oh, wow. She goes, it says that uh, men's fertility is going down because of laptop usage, because of the heat of the laptop <laughs> on the lap. I won't wow. get into any more details, sure, but I said, I said, yes, I've, I've heard that before. And, uh, so I guess we could make the claim that the service pro three increases fertility or at least doesn't decre- decrease it. Right, I'm not right, speaking right. for Microsoft in this claim. <laughs> right. Yeah. Big asterisk. That's that yeah. I'm totally getting sued. <laughs> no it's it's true though that the thing keeps your your lap cold the, the only thing i've run into is whenever you're wearing shorts with it the little kickstand i mean it's it's a thin kickstand so it ends up like putting marks on your legs where where the weight is sitting yeah i actually end up more often than not if it's sitting in my lap i'm not typing mm-hmm. uh and so i flip the keyboard under and set the legs on that yeah that's yeah, exactly that's a good yeah it's a good point that's a good point so really a non-issue so speaking of giveaways, uh, what do you got, Carl? Looks like you got some goodies. Yep. So I've come across uh, a bunch of Microsoft gift cards. So we're going to have a contest to give these away. Um, I have 10 Microsoft gift cards. These are good in the Windows and Windows Phone stores, as well as for Xbox Video and Xbox Music. Uh, so they're 10 $5 Microsoft gift cards, but they are for the U.S. store only. Mm-hmm. So of course, this is going to be restricted to people who live in the U.S. But what we're going to do is anybody who retweets any of our uh, tweets, we're going to pick two at random each week for the next five weeks. Okay. So everybody, you know, you want to be eligible. All you got to do is hit retweet. Right. And, and to be clear, you need to have a U.S. address. Yes. Yep. So even if you if you live outside of the country, but you have a U.S. address, that's fine. Um, if you live outside the, yeah, this, we, we have to ship it to the U S otherwise it, it gets really what, ugly. No, the, these are digital. So I will email you all oh, they're digital. The, oh, the, these are digital codes. Yes. Okay. So I will email you or forward the emails that I have. I have 10. So they so. can only be redeemed in the U S store is what you're saying. Exactly. And that's the okay. only reason why this is restricted to the U S. Okay. So, so we'll pick them at random and then we'll just have you dm us uh the email address where we can ship these to perfect anybody have anything else or should we get to plugs okay well let's let's go on here so if you have feedback for the show you can email us at feedback at msdevshow.com make sure you subscribe to the show by searching for ms dev show in your favorite podcasting app that includes the windows 8 the windows phone 8.1 podcasting app as well as stitcher and all the other good ones um, I'm Jason Young. You can find me at ytechie.com on Twitter. You can find me at twitter.com slash ytechie. Carl, where can they find you? I can be found at wpdevguy.com and at Carl Schweitzer on Twitter. And where can we find you, Jeff? 
anywhere you can spell Jeff Blankenberg, you can find me pretty much. So nowhere. Uh, I'm Jeff Blankenberg <laughs> on Twitter. I'm jeffblankenberg.com. I have tons and tons of Windows 8, Windows Phone tutorials and, and stuff on there. Uh, but honestly, I'm, I'm on just about everything. And Jeff Blankenberg is my username almost everywhere. Perfect. Well, thank you for coming on the show, Jeff. We really appreciate it. Thanks for having me. This was great. Yeah.